Hey, before you're seated, would you, would you pray with me about one thing? For 13 years, Joel and Lindsay Sims were pastors on our staff here at Kingwood. And in December, we prayed over them and sent them to Huntsville to plant a brand new church. And today is the very first Sunday that they meet for a public worship service. And we've sent a team up to help them launch their church publicly this morning. So would you just pray over them today? And let's just ask God to be with their new congregation. Lord, we thank you today for Joel and Lindsay and for their leaders and their team. And we ask you today that as they meet together, that the presence of God would be present and strong. And Lord, you would open doors of favor and relationship and connection. And God, we pray that you would give that church strength and peace and focus today. And Lord, we pray that lives would be changed as they meet with you. Multiply the kingdom of God now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you for your prayer today. You can be seated. Hey, I'm, I'm glad you're here tonight. I want to invite you to join us at 5.30 for Soak. Once a month, we have a, a worship and prayer service on Sunday evening called Soak. And I want to ask you to join us. Tonight, we're going to be sharing communion. And uh, it's just going to be a really, really powerful time. So I hope that you'll join us to be a part of that service tonight. Um, you, you are probably aware, I'm sure, I don't know anybody that's not, that social media uh, and Facebook... Uh, has made an enormous impact on our everyday lives. You may not know this, though. Two billion people on earth are on Facebook. That's 25% of the population of the whole world is on Facebook. Now, actually, Facebook has recently changed uh, the way that they do some of the things they do that gives uh, churches and groups like ours uh, a huge opportunity to connect within our own family. And so we want you to know that we're actually going to launch um, a Facebook community group from our church. Maybe uh, about 160 or 70 of you have already found it. Uh, but we're going to have uh, three groups initially to start with a Kingwood community group. So everybody in the Kingwood family, regardless of who you are or how long you've been here or any of that, uh, we want to invite you to join. You can do that just by going to the Kingwood Church Facebook page. And at the top, if you'll check the pin, we have a place there. You can join the group. It's free. It doesn't require anything like that. But um, if you, once you join the group, you're part of the Kingwood online community, and that will help us all stay connected as a family better. So we have a Kingwood community group. We have a uh, youth uh, a group, and then we also have a children's group. And what we want to do is create an opportunity for us to stay connected 24-7. So if you'll write this date down, on September 29th, we're actually launching these groups at 5 o'clock. If you'll join us on Facebook from 5 to 5.30 on September 29th, we're going to have a Facebook group launch party, and we're going to go bananas. So it's going to be a lot of fun, and I hope you'll join us there, and it'll really give us an opportunity to stay better connected uh, with each other as a church. Um, if you 
are a little confused about some of the things I said. If you look in your info guide, we have a little spot there that will explain to you how you can become part of the Kingwood Church community group on Facebook. So <clears throat> join us Join us now. Go ahead and get involved so you'll be ready for the Facebook launch party at 5 o'clock on September 29th. Hey, uh, we're continuing our series today called Under Pressure. I'm sure that everybody here has had at least one moment in your life that, that you can remember where you panicked and, uh, and probably did something you wish you wouldn't have done. Or maybe you were under pressure and you made a bad decision because the pressure of the moment, the anxiety of the moment, feeling overwhelmed in the moment, maybe fear caused you to think differently or to act in a way that you wouldn't have acted ordinarily. I can remember um, seeing an example of this firsthand. So when I was in college, um, about 25 guys, by, by the way, 19 years old and 2 a.m. is not a good combination. How many of you, how many of you can understand what I'm about to say? Okay, well, we were about that age, and we were up too late, and we got this idea that we know what we'll do. Us 25 guys will go and run through the girls' dorm. And you think, is, is that what pastor, you know, students do? Listen, you got to do something with the energy. You know what I'm saying? I, I, look, don't, don't judge me, all right? There's, there's worse things you can do. I'm not recommending it, though, by the way. Just for the podcast, I'm not recommending it. Nobody go and do it and say, well, the pastor said that's what you're supposed to do. I didn't say that. However, we were very well organized. <laughs> it was a covert special force operation. The question was, how do you move 25 guys through the girls' dorm at 2 a.m. and not get caught? That was the question. So um, we had two girls on the inside. You couldn't get in. We didn't have a key. So we had two girls on the inside who were going to open the front door at exactly 2 a.m. And then we had our guy at the back of the guy's dorm who was going to open the door about five minutes later and let us all back in. And we were going to run down the hallway and jump in our bed and turn the light off and act like we were all asleep. You know, when whatever happened, happened. So um, here it is, 2 a.m., our female operatives are stationed at the front door. We were going to run through the hallway, the main foyer. The hall split two ways. We were going to half and go down two hallways. We are going to run screaming like crazy people down the hallway, beating on all the doors and just creating chaos, and then shoot out the back door and run around in the, in the guy's dorm and hide. The only thing left to cover, though, was we couldn't risk being identified. Because, you know, you're, you're in a ministry college, so you can't get caught doing something like that. Who knows what they would think about that. So uh, we did, of course, the only logical thing you could do. We took T-shirts and tied them around our head and just left the neck hole open for eyes so we all looked like, you know, thrift store ninjas. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and we had the sleeves tied in the back like this, like little bows like that, and a little slit out here. And so, you know, we were ready. And uh, you should have been in the dorm room uh, at ground zero when we were planning this, about 11 foot by 11 foot dorm room with 25 guys with t-shirts tied on our head. We look like 13 year olds about to pounce on something, you know. And, and here we go, you know, we're, we're ready to go and uh, uh, we're trying to figure out, you know, this plan is um, impeccable. What could go wrong? Uh, you, you think, what could go wrong? So we decided since the girls dorm was so far away, we're going to go out in two shifts. 
We'll send one shift out ahead, and they'll skirmish around and try to avoid the street lights on campus. And they ducked up into um, an outdoor stairwell and hid in the shadows. And as they were hiding there, waiting to see if the coast was clear, a security guard happened to walk by. And the security guard thought he heard something in the shadow of the stairwell. And so he thought, you know, maybe there's a cat, maybe there's something. He, he just heard a little something. He had no idea. He turned his light on and flashed it into that stairwell. And 13 guys with T-shirts on their head, like, like a sack of mice that had been poured out, went running every direction, running for their life, trying to get away so they wouldn't get caught. You know, here, here's what's going on. And, and, and just as all of that craziness was going on, those guys were shooting every direction, trying to figure out what's the best way to circle around without getting caught. They're starting to radio between each other and get back to the dorm and go hide in your bed and act like nothing happened. What's the fastest way? And uh, there was one guy that, that I knew, one of my friends named Brian. And for whatever reason, Brian couldn't find a T-shirt when it was time to tie something around your head and hide your face. So he just grabbed the closest thing he had in his room, a completely logical move, swimming trunks. Now you're asking yourself the question, how do you tie swimming trunks around your head and hide your face? It was very simple. You wouldn't think that a man's head would fit through the leg hole of swimming trunks, but it will. His did. He's a small guy. He put his head up through the leg hole of the swimming trunks and popped his head out the top. Now I don't know if you... Ladies all know the inner workings of guys' swimming trunks, but they're actually laced with this mesh net. And so when his head popped out the top with his curly hair, the swimming trunk mesh net mashed down on his head. And so here's Brian with his swimming trunks mesh wrapped around his face. And I don't know if you understand how small the holes, they're not made to look through. That's not what they're designed to do, but he's trying to, you know, they're shifting like this as he's running, and he's trying to see through the little holes in the mesh of the swimming trunk, trying to figure out which way to go, and he thinks that he's running down the sidewalk by the library to cut back around to the dorm. What he doesn't realize is he's drifted off the sidewalk because he can't see. It's 2 o'clock in the morning, and he's got swimming trunk mesh on his face. And he drifted off the sidewalk across the front lawn of the college, and lo and behold, there are 200-year-old oak trees right there. Now, who would have put those there? And in the dark, with swimming trunk mesh on his face, he's running 100% full speed, panicking, running for his life, and I'm telling you, he never saw it coming. He hit that tree dead on mid-stride in the air. Pow! And it laid him back in the ground, and there are stars and birds flying over his head, and he can barely walk, and he stumbles up. I don't know if they felt sorry for him. I don't know how he got away. But the next time that I saw him, he comes running in the dorm, and he's breathing heavy, and he's all messed up, and he's still got the mesh on his face. And the knot on his head is so big, I can see it sticking up through the mesh. And I said, Brian, brother, what happened to you? And he's breathing. I thought he's going to die. He's breathing all heaven. He's so disoriented. You, you know what I learned from that? Let me tell you. Um, when we panic, we make bad decisions. Have you found that? Unfortunately, too often in our lives, we believe that worry and fear and an anxiety and panic have no consequences. 
We think they're free exercises. I can just worry as much as I want to worry. I can live in as much anxiety as I want to live in. And it really doesn't cost anything. It really doesn't have any effect on my relationships or on my mental health or on my spiritual health or on my relationship with God or anything else. Or sometimes we just believe we have no choice. This is what life has done to us, and we're stuck with it. In this series, Under Pressure, we're talking about some of the solutions to the pressure that just seems to keep increasing year in and year out. And I want to say this again. I said it last week. Last week, we talked about receiving hope. This week, we're going to talk about giving your needs to God. But I want to make sure that we're all clear. You can't come and hear any one of these messages and just apply one of them and say, I tried that and nothing happened. It didn't work. There's not one solution to the pressure we're under. There are many strategies that if you will uh, deploy in your life, you will begin to see change. But you have to take them all in. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7 says this, Cast all your anxiety on Him, on God, because He cares for you. So the first thing that I want to say to you this morning is, and the first thing that we all need to know about God is this, He really does want you to have relief. He really does. He cares about you. He cares for you. And he cares about what you're going through. And he cares about the pressure. And he cares about what's happening in your life. Now, usually when we are teaching spiritual things like this, we oftentimes, I oftentimes say, now there's no formula. You don't just put this plus this and plug that in and out pops you know, whatever result you're hoping for. Well, I want to say the exact opposite thing to you. There actually is a formula for peace. And I want to share the formula with you, this big secret formula. Can you imagine if we could just go and sell peace, what we could charge for it? Here's the thing. You don't have to buy it. God gives it to you for free. It doesn't cost you anything. You just follow the formula. So, Wouldn't you like to know what the formula is? Philippians chapter 4, if you have something to write with, I encourage you to take some of these thoughts down. Verse 6 says, do not be anxious about anything. So here's the first ingredient in the formula. Number one, do not worry about anything. Did you know that Christianity is a worry-free lifestyle? Did you know that's how it's designed? That's how God built it, to be a worry-free lifestyle. Now, you may think, well, that's a myth. There's no such thing as a worry-free lifestyle. If there's such a thing as a worry-free lifestyle, why are we seeing this mental health crisis and anxiety exploding the way that we do? Well, let me tell you a little bit about the person who wrote these words. This, This scripture was written by Paul the Apostle. Paul the Apostle had suffered a great deal in his life. As a matter of fact, I want to just read you a couple of verses Uh, of how he describes his own life. 2 Corinthians 4, 8, 9. He said, We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. You see, Paul had endured a lot in his life and was actually writing a letter to the church in a city named Philippi. 
Now, that letter written to the church in Philippi, we know as today in the New Testament, the book of Philippians. Uh, And by the way, when Paul was writing the letter to the church in Philippi, and he wrote this verse, he was writing to a church who was suffering a lot of persecution. They were a fledgling little church. They were the only church in that whole city. And, and the majority of people in that city were not Christian. They have, came from all kind of other religions, paganism, everything else. And they were, they were giving great resistance and persecution to these Christians. And Paul wrote this letter to them. Oh, and by the way, Paul was actually in prison when he wrote the letter. So Paul, from prison, wrote a letter to a church in persecution... And what do you think the subject of the letter is going to be about? Here's what the book of Philippians, the letter of Philippians is. If you were to take one theme and stretch it over the whole book, it's this. How do you live in joy in difficult circumstances? From prison to persecution. How do you live in joy in difficult circumstances? So I just want you to understand when he says, do not worry about anything, he's not just throwing good luck charms out at you. He's not just throwing a penny in a wishing well. He's not just giving you platitudes. He's not giving you cliches. He knows what he's talking about because he's in prison. And the only thing he's done wrong is he won't stop following Jesus and telling other people about him. That's why he's in prison. And that's why these Christians are suffering. So it's easy to think, well, don't don't worry about anything. How how will I do that? God will never ask you to do anything that he won't also give you the grace to do. So it is possible. I think, though, what happens is we underestimate the cost of worry. We think it's an innocent habit that costs nothing. You know, people say all the time, oh, you know me, I'm just a worry wart. I've wondered about that. Why would you want to be any kind of wart? Does that not tell you in and of itself there's a problem? We get our word worry from the German word virgin, which means to strangle or to choke. That's what worry is. It strangles you and it chokes you. And it's unproductive and it's repetitive. And, and this is what, exactly what Jesus was talking about in Mark chapter 4 when he told the parable of the farmer who went out and uh, planted seeds. And here's what he says in verse 18. Still others, like the seed sown among thorns, he's talking about people who are given the gospel, who are given the word of God, they hear the word, look at this, but the worries of this life choke the word, making it unfruitful. If you've ever looked at yourself and said, it just seems like I can't grow spiritually, what is the problem? One of the problems might be that the worry of your life continues to choke out the work of God in your heart. The worries of this world will choke to death God's word inside you and God's plan inside you and God's work inside you. We cannot live in peace and worry at the same time. Well, so what do we do? Don't worry about anything. Well, that in and of itself is not very helpful. How do I do that? Do I just grit my teeth and try harder? Self-determination isn't going to do it. If that would have ended worry and anxiety, we'd have been free of it a long time ago. 
But we do have other parts to the formula. So let's look back at verse 6 and see what else Paul tells us. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition. Here's two really, really powerful words. And I wish we had time to do a whole message on it, and really we could do a whole series on it. With thanksgiving. So do not worry about anything. Number two, thank God for something. Something. Doesn't even matter what it is. Thank God for something. Now, I've found that everybody, and I don't mean this sarcastically, I mean it sincerely, everybody has a good reason to complain. Everybody. Because everybody's had circumstances in their life that aren't fair. Everybody's been mistreated. Everybody's had problems. Everybody's had struggles. Every, I, mean that, I mean that completely sincerely. Everybody is hurt wrongly and unfairly. And so everybody has an actual good reason to complain. And so we ask ourselves these questions sometimes. Why is life so hard? Why can't I trust other people? Why did this have to happen to me? Why won't anybody love me for who I am? Why isn't God answering my prayers? Why do I have to live alone like this? Why isn't the Bible working for me the way it seems to be working for other people? Why does this problem never seem to end? Why me? And everyone has these questions that just seem to beat the life out of us, and we have to learn to fight those thoughts back. We can actually win that battle. It's a battle in the mind. How do we win the battle? With what weapons has God given us to defeat the battle of the mind and those thoughts in our mind? Here's the weapon, gratitude. God has given us gratitude. Every person has a good reason to complain, but every follower of Jesus has the best reason to be grateful. We just have to choose which one we're going to do. Now, I want to read for you um, a couple of quotes from a book by Nancy DeMoss called Choosing Gratitude. I'd recommend it. It's a, a great little book. And, and uh, these are several sentences long, but I hope that you'll just follow along with me and absorb what she said in her book. Here's the first quote. If you find discouragement, depression, fear, or anxiety among your frequent companions, you may tend to attribute them to difficult or painful circumstances that surround you. That's, that's where you say the source of this is. But I want to suggest that as challenging as your situation or your season of life may be, watch this, your frame of mind likely has less to do with your distressing circumstances than your need to develop a thankful heart. Boy, that is potent. That is strong medicine, isn't it? Here's the, here's the follow-up quote. She says, how else can you explain those believers around the world, spanning from ancient times to the present day, who scrape by with less than most of us can fathom, and whose days are perpetually beset with trials and tragedy, but who nonetheless manifest irrepressible peace and joy? Why is it that our prayers are supposed to be combined with gratitude toward God because it shifts our focus off the problem, off the pain, 
off the circumstance and onto the solution and onto God and onto His greatness and onto His goodness. And until you have that shift, your pressure is not going to let up. As long as you take a telescope or a microscope and you zero in on your problem and your circumstance and your suffering and your pain, that's all you're going to see and that's going to create an unbelievable amount of pressure on you. But if you want the pressure to lift, you've got to... You've got to shift your focus off of those things and to put them on God. And when you do that in thanksgiving, in gratitude, you begin to lift your eyes up to the only one who can help you and your pressure will start to lift. Now, gratitude is something we have to practice because it doesn't come natural to most of us. Maybe it doesn't come natural to any of us. Before you bring your need to God... I just want to suggest to you that Philippians 4 says, bring your need to God with thanksgiving. Now, maybe that's a place that you get stuck sometimes and say, I know I'm supposed to be grateful for everything, but how does a person become grateful for everything? Well, you have to start by becoming grateful for something. And let me give you some things that the Bible shows us that we can be grateful for. So here's some things we can thank God for. Psalm 75.1, we can thank God for his closeness. We can thank God for his faithfulness and love. We can thank God for his mercy. We thank him for Jesus' sacrificial death for our life. We, th we can thank him for our salvation. We thank him for our calling that God has given us eternal and meaningful work to do while we're on the earth. We certainly can thank God for victory over death. We can thank him for freedom from sin, thank him for the Bible, <clears throat> thank him for Christian community, for daily food, for sleep, for meeting our needs, for hearing our prayers, for convicting of us of our sins. How else would we even know to avoid certain things? We can thank him for guidance and direction, for making his presence available to us, for, for him continually, continually working in our life. We can thank him for eternal life in heaven. And I love Ephesians 1, chapter 3. It says that he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Would you say that little word with me this morning? Would you say the word every? every. What do you think God meant by that? Yeah, you're right, you're right, every. Which blessings do you think God intended to leave out? None of them. The Bible says that every spiritual blessing that God could ever give you He's made available to you. And so we can thank him for that. So start your prayer time by giving God thanks and see the difference it'll make in your life. So here's the formula. Here's an ingredient. Do not worry about anything. Thank God. And then when you push worry away, turn your focus toward thanking God for something. Now look back at verse 6 one more time in Philippians. And then it says, present your request to God. So here's number three. Pray about everything. Sometimes we say, oh, that doesn't matter, or that'll probably work out, or that's too small, or that does, I don't even know if God cares about that, or, or man, that's too big. That's too big of a thing. I, I, you know, th this is going to go wrong no matter what we do, so it doesn't matter if we pray or not. It's just maybe like a, you know, a wishing well. Everything is a broad term. Everything 
What do you pray about? What is challenging your joy? Then pray about it. When you feel frustration, pray about it. When you feel stress, pray about what's stressing you. When you begin to worry, pray about what you're worrying on. One of the quickest ways that you and I can overcome worry is to strangle it in prayer. So the next time you're worried, ask yourself. Just ask yourself, have I prayed about this before? Have I prayed about this recently? See, see here's what I find. Oftentimes, our days or weeks are dominated thinking about similar things over and over. Right? So, whatever it is that you think about most during the week, pray about that. And oftentimes, we think about it so much because we don't pray about it because unconsciously we believe that God's not going to help or doesn't help or doesn't care or aren't, is, is not involved, so we feel like we're on our own and it's up to us to fix it all. And the proof that we think it's up to us to fix it all is we don't pray about it. We, nev- we never offer it to God even one time and say, God, I have this need. What do you you know, what do you say about this? So I think one of the great guides to prayer is whatever it is that you think about most of the day or most of the week, start there. Pray about that. Several years ago, we did a study here at Kingwood on the book of Philippians. And uh, in the middle of that study, uh, a guy from our church caught up with me and he said, I just want to tell you how powerfully this study has impacted my life. He said, I'm married, I have two small children, I've been struggling with financial pressure that's killing me, I haven't been able to provide for my family the way I need to, and the pressures almost pushed me over the edge. He said, in fact, not long ago, I I was seriously considering taking my own life. But by God's grace, he he intervened and rescued me. So he said, right after that, We started this series in Philippians, and he said, I want you to know, I've been burying myself in the book of Philippians, and I've been reading it every day, and I've been praying, and I just wanted to tell you how right on time this series was, and I wanted to tell you how the pressure is getting lighter, and the pressure's not killing me the way it was. And I just want you to know, when I feel pressure, the first thing I do now is pray. Isn't that interesting? That one of the solutions to the pressure we live under, is taking that, the cause of that pressure and giving it over to God. What a great result. In my own uh, prayer time, this, this has been a very intense season of life and ministry for me the last few months. And so for about three months in my own prayer time, uh, I've been ending my prayer time kind of the same way. Because I've, I've got to this place where I say, you know, I have so many things I need to do today. One thing I'm certain of, there's no way I'll get them all done. I mean, it's impossible. The list is too long. I know I can't. So here's the question. How do I know which ones matter most? How do I know in the end of the day, how do I really... I can prioritize. I can schedule. I can do that. I've done that for years. But how do I really know which ones are going to make the biggest difference and where I should put my time? So I've been ending my prayer time like this for about three months. God, I'm asking you today to help me. Help me to see the things 
that I can do today, the work that I can do today that will bring you the most joy. Help me to see the things that you would do today if you were me. Because it's not an option to do them all. And sometimes I can't tell which ones matter most. So Lord, I pray today. And can I tell you something? As I've been praying that prayer out almost every day, can I tell you I've entered into most days and most weeks with greater peace and a greater calm and a greater ease and less pressure and less uh, anxiety about how am I going to catch up and get all this stuff done. And it's because there's nothing too small to pray about even on an everyday basis and there's nothing too big to pray about like this guy who says, I'm under financial pressure so strong I've considered taking my own life. And everything in between. So talk to God about what you spend the most time thinking about. Now, here's the last part of the formula. Number four. Experience peace. Verse seven says, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So just to make sure we all have our mind wrapped around it, how do you get out from under the pressure in moments of fear and worry and anxiety and pressure or maybe ongoing pressure or seasons of pressure? What is the formula God has given us to combat that? Here's what it is. Subtract worry, <laughs> for you math people, subtract worry, add thanks plus prayer and the result will be peace. So reject worry, push worry away, and turn your focus from worry to giving God thanks. And after you give him thanks, pray about what's going on, and the result will be peace. And you say, you know, I've done that, and the worry came back. Well, of course it did, because you're still human. <laughs> and you live on earth. And so you do it again. And so you do it again. And so you do it again, and so you do it again. If you're going to worry repetitively, you might as well pray repetitively, right? If you can uselessly go over the same problem again and again and again and again with no solution, surely you can go over the same thanksgiving with God and the same prayer again and again and again until victory fills your heart. So that's the formula. There's a, there's a phrase in this verse that has fascinated me since I was a teenager. I remember first reading it when I was a teenager, and it's, it's just fascinated me all my life. Paul doesn't just say, if you push worry away and add thanks and add prayer, you'll, you'll receive peace. He says there's a specific kind of peace. What kind of peace? Peace that transcends all understanding. I remember the first time I read that, I was thinking, what is this? Like if I can't, if it transcends understanding, how can I understand it? Like if, it tra like if, if I can't even understand this piece, how do I apply something to my life I can't even understand? It escapes logic. Well, a few years later, let me... Let me give you the best place I've landed on it for now. The natural response to a problem is fear or anxiety or worry 
or panic. That's the natural response. The supernatural response to fear to a problem is peace. So you look at someone in their life is going through a problem and they have peace. You say, whoa, whoa, whoa. How could they have peace in the middle of all of that? Because that's illogical. That transcends human understanding. Don't they see? Don't they know? Don't they know what's about to happen? Don't they get it? Maybe they get it better than we get it. It's that the peace they're experiencing supersedes natural response. It is a supernatural response that has been produced by prayer and thanksgiving and rejecting worry. One of the worst days of my life was about eight years ago when uh, our older son had begun to get sick and I didn't know what was wrong with him but he had lost weight and he was looking very sick and had other symptoms and it began to suspiciously look to me like he had what our younger son had which was type 1 diabetes and I just thought oh no like I remember where I was standing in our basement when it dawned on me this could be the problem and so I went and took a little sample of blood and I put it in the little machine and I just kind of went on the down low and I went out in the front yard and I was it took several seconds for it to process and I was pacing back and forth in the front yard saying oh God I was begging God please don't let this disease come into our family again please please and the beat went off in the meter and I looked at it and his sugar was five times higher than it was supposed to be which is, a, if you know anything about that, it's an absolute proof. Either, you, either it's high or it's normal. There's no middle. You either have it or you don't. And from there, I had to go and um, tell my wife. I had to tell her, I think our son has, I think our other son also has type 1 diabetes. And she just cried a puddle on the floor. It broke her heart. So sad. Because we in that moment, unlike when our first son got it, we knew in that moment the burden that was about to be sat on our son's shoulders. And so I said, if you'll stay here, our other son was nine years old, will you stay here and take care of him? I'm going to take our son to the hospital because we, we, gotta, we gotta get it. he needs immediate care. And so then I had to go and look my 13-year-old in the eye and tell him, I think, I think you're type 1 diabetic. And uh, we got to go to the hospital. He said, okay. So, it was a long ride to Children's Hospital. We got in the car and we headed up the interstate. What do you say? What do you say? What do you say to your 13-year-old? Your life's about to change. A lot. And it's not going to be good. And I just put my hand on his neck. And we just rode like that with my hand on his neck, just loving him. And I said, you know, why don't we just turn on some worship music? Why don't we just start to sing and worship a little bit? Why don't we pray? And all the way to the hospital, we sang together and prayed. I want to tell you something. God's presence filled that little car. It didn't take the problem away, but it sure did lift a lot of the pressure of that moment because that was an intense moment. And that pressure 
just started to lift and come off our shoulders and make the situation a lot lighter. Can I tell you, when you bring your problem to God, I want, if you don't hear anything else I say today, please hear this. When you bring your problem to God, His presence will meet you immediately. Immediately. He will not wait because He cares about you. Would you stand with me this morning? And I want to ask our prayer team if you'd come. Would you just get, I won't keep you long, but would you just stand in a place where you can be comfortable and be still for a minute? Close your eyes and just open your heart up. We live under so much pressure in these days. So much weight that we carry. And everybody's got a different story and everybody's got a different reason. And I understand that. But with your eyes closed, can I just ask you a couple of questions? If you were to be honest this morning, what's on your mind? What's on your mind? You can come in and sing and, you know, talk and meet people and listen and do, do whatever you do while you're here. But what's, what's really on your mind? What's in the back? What's hidden? What's, what's, what are you struggling with? What have you spent the most time this week thinking about? What's going on in your life that you haven't prayed about? That's what I want to know. Or maybe you haven't prayed about it in a long time. Can I tell you today, if you will just, if you will just turn your need to God, I promise you, His presence will meet you there and peace will begin to fill your life. So today, if you have a need or a wound or a circumstance or a problem or a pressure, it doesn't matter what it is. And you don't even have to tell anybody what it is. You can just say, man, I just have a need. Would you pray for me? I need God's peace today. Can I tell you, when you, when you take a step to meet God, God will meet you immediately. So with every eye closed today, in just a minute, I'm going to begin to pray. And when I do, if you need prayer today, if you have a need you need to give to God, I want you just to step out from where you are and come to one of our prayer team and say, would you just pray for me? And I promise you, when you do that, God's presence is going to meet you in that moment. So as I begin to pray now, would you come and let's begin to pray together. Holy Spirit, I ask you to draw every person that needs prayer today. I, I ask you to draw every person that needs peace. I ask you to draw every person that needs the presence of God to meet them in this moment. Holy Spirit, I ask you to fill this place with your presence now. Fill this moment with hope in God. Fill this moment with answers that only you can bring. God, I pray that you would break through with deliverance and you would break through with freedom and you would break through with joy and you would break through in this moment. God, we surrender our needs. As the worship team begins to sing, if you need prayer, I want you to come right now. Come right now. You just look at the person next to you and say, I, could, I, could I slide out? You are here moving in Come on and just let him move. I in your worship life. you. I worship. If you feel the Holy Spirit drawing you. I want you to come you out. You are here, 
working in this place I worship you I worship you cause you are way make miracle work promise keep light in the darkness my God that is who Lord we put our eyes on you today you are way make miracle work promise keep light in the darkness my god that is who you are you are way make miracle work promise keep light in the darkness my god that is who you are Miracle work, promise keep light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are, that is who you are, that is who you are. for the grace of God and the presence of Jesus and we thank you for the peace of God that is available to every believer and so Lord we pray today that you would you would help us to walk in peace you would send us in peace and Lord that you would show us how to receive the peace of God and to live in it in Jesus name so the worship team continues to sing if you need prayer we want you to come if you need to be dismissed, you can be dismissed. Hey, I hope to see you tonight at 5.30 for Soaking Communion. God bless you. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working.